Now join us for our teaching series, Greater Than, a study on Hebrews 1 through 10. Well, we're so glad again you're here with us this morning as we're continuing our teaching series, Greater Than, which is based off the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews. And as we are in the thick of this teaching series, one of the things that's come up the last couple of weeks is this idea of covenantal love. And so what we've been doing is just comparing between contractual love and covenantal love, talking and working through that. And in the midst of that happening and us talking through that and working through that, and as we think about that in our own lives, we come to a point within the teaching series where really we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we answer the deep longings within our hearts? How do we go about answering those? And there's three main questions that every human heart wants to know. They want to know the answer to these questions. And here are the three questions. Are you going to leave me? Do you love and value me? Do you think I have what it takes? And these three questions, these three questions we ask and we answer, and depending on how we answer them, depending on how we answer them, will really determine whether we're practicing and walking in covenantal love or contractual love. How do we view the God of the universe and what he's done through Jesus? Do we view it, again, on this contractual plane, or do we view it on this covenantal plane? And what I want us to see today as we look at these three questions and as we begin to examine them, because we ask them in our own hearts, we have these insecurities within us. We have these ways in which we look and we want answers to these questions, things that we use to resolve the stress and the tensions that we feel in our souls. I want us to hear actually what God's word, specifically the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, has to say about said questions. What are the answers in this covenantal love that God has made and what he's established through what Jesus has done for us? So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to look at what's said here in Hebrews 9. We'll read through these verses, and then we're going to come back together and break them down and be able to fully understand what's being said here by the author of Hebrews. Listen to what it says here. It says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that he, that blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. So Christ 
was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this covenantal love that is ours in Christ. And we pray, Jesus, that we would be able to not only understand what it is that the new covenant is, we looked at last week, but what it means in our practical way of living, our day-to-day lives, to walk in its power in our lives. What that looks like and what that means for us. I know each and every one of us are coming with heavy burdens from this season. I know each and every one of us are at the end of our rope. Lord, I know each and every one of us feels the weight of this season. And I just pray in this moment, we would be able to lay that at your feet, to enter into what it is you have for us, to hear your voice. I pray that our hearts would be soft. I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you're saying to us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, let's break this down in Hebrews 9. And and again, the reason we want to break this down beyond it's good to do so, we said last week, Hebrews has a way of packing a mighty punch in a few verses. And so we want to make sure we're able to understand what's being said here. Listen to what it says here. It says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. So he's unblemished. He offered himself to God to cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to what? What's the word here? That lead to what? They lead to death, right? They lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And when you hear the author of Hebrews describe what it is that Jesus has done for us, he offered himself for us willingly. Willingly. He did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so his invitation is to receive what he's come to give us, which is salvation. He's come to set us free. He's come to give us forgiveness. And so the invitation is for everyone, but only a few are going to choose to accept and put their faith and trust in Jesus. But he's paid the price willingly. He's shown us this extravagant love for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And as you hear what it says about him being this offering to God that was unblemished, it speaks of his perfection. And that those who receive what he's come to give, that he frees us. And he frees not only us in the sense that we have forgiveness of sins, but he cleanses our conscience. He cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death. Not only what we do, but even the inner part of who we are, the the secret motivations, the things that we think. He cleanses those things. And it says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. He's the one that mediates the demands of this new covenant. What's required of this holy and perfect God. He mediates for us. And not only does he mediate for us, he's the ransom. He paid the price. So that not only can our conscience be clean, but we can be set free to be who God's intended us to be. That we could serve the living God. We could serve 
the living God, that we could receive the inheritance that Jesus himself has, that because we're hidden in Christ, all the eternal rewards that belong to Jesus and are found in Jesus, they are ours as well. It's powerful to think about. It's beautiful. And so as we think about that, here's the first part. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Christ establishes a new covenant by his blood that cleanses our conscience and enables us to serve the living God. So it's through his blood, through what Christ would do for us, that we have this new covenant. We have this new covenant. And through that, our conscience is cleared. There's this cleansing that is ours through Christ, and it enables us to serve the living God. It's beautiful to think about how we are at odds with God, but we've been made right with God, and we get to join God and what he has for us. So there's a couple of questions I want to ask you with this point. And here's the first one. What do you base your cleansed conscience on? What is it that you're basing that on? Like, what is it that you look to and say, hey, I'm cleansed. I've cleansed my conscience because I don't think I've ever done anything wrong, right? <laughs> that's, that's maybe a form that we do. You know, we, we can have that kind of view of ourselves. We can have kind of like that funhouse mirror effect. If you guys know a funhouse mirror effect, what that simply does is it distorts reality, right? It makes you look different. It makes you perceive the, the circumstances that are in that place with you differently. And not only that, you can view other people differently as well. And Dr. Tim Elmore says that it's so easy for us to have that attitude towards ourselves and towards others. And really, it speaks to our own pride and self-righteousness. And we think that we understand everybody's set of circumstances. And so we interject our judgment and our opinions and our thoughts because we know better than they do. And not only does that happen, not only does that happen, but then we say statements like, perception is reality. Have you heard that? And I've been thinking about this statement a lot. Because really... That's a statement that people often say, but it really should be, say, should be said, my perception is my reality. And really what the kingdom of God wants to do is say, hey, I want you to be able to perceive reality according to Jesus so you can step into the life he has for you. How does he perceive our life? What does he want for us to do? How do we walk into the truth? How do we lean into what it is he says of us and wants for us? Because again, perception isn't reality. Perception is our reality. We need to get his perception on reality. Amen? Right? I mean, that's what I want. That's what I need. That's what we all want. Whether we know it or not, we were created for that. And so we need to get his mind and his heart towards us and what it is he says about those around us. And get out of this place of this pride that makes us look better in our minds because we compare ourselves to somebody else. But in humility, we say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you say of me? What have you done for me? Wait a minute. What was the grace that was displayed to me through Jesus? Once and for all, right? We hear that, and we're going to hear that again and again through this passage. Once and for all. He did something for you that you could not do for yourself. And I know many of us, we hear that, and I want you to know that it's an invitation, but you've got to receive it. You've got to acknowledge who you are before a holy and righteous God. Because he, again, has a perception on reality, and we want to get his perception again on reality. The second question is this, who are you serving? And as I ask this question, I want you to know that it says that we are able to have a clear conscience because of the blood of Christ to serve 
the living God. Here's the truth. We are all serving someone, something. We are. And one of the, the ways that we can determine if we have a prideful view of ourselves is if we say something is beneath me. I can't serve in this way because it's beneath me. And I want to remind you, Jesus came in as a servant, not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Nothing was beneath them, including washing his disciples' feet. He served. Some of us, though, the issue isn't we're unwilling to. Some of us have a mindset that says, I have nothing to offer, and it's what's called false humility. And that's just as dangerous as pride because it's another form of pride. I want you to know you have something to offer. This passage makes it clear through Jesus. Our conscience has been cleared. We've been cleansed so that we can step in to what it is He has for us. How He's wired us, how He's created us, our gifts, our passions, our joys. We have something to offer. We have an opportunity every day to serve those around us, to join Him and what He's doing in our lives and the lives of those around us. And I want to encourage you to have eyes to see but not only have eyes to see, but have the courage to step into it. You do have something to offer in Christ Jesus. He's made a way. So which one do you battle with? Do you have a prideful view of yourself that says, hey, I'm better than this person? Or do you have this false humility that says, I'm no good at all and I have nothing to offer? Both are not congruent with the gospel of Jesus. And so we need to hear his heart for us. And what he's intended and desires for us. And I want you to continue to hear what Hebrews 9 says. It says this. It says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. I want you to say this out loud with me on three. One, two, three. Once and for all. Once and for all. Once and for all. Once and for all. I want you to just hold on to that because what you're going to hear as you go through the book of Hebrews is this phrase, once and for all. Once and for all. Jesus, once and for all, offered himself for you and for me to deal with our debt of sin, the things that we do that we shouldn't do and the things that we don't do that we should do. He paid the price for you and for me once and for all. Once and for all. And in the culmination of the age to come, which speaks of his second advent, the first advent we just celebrated with Christmas, right? We're like, yes, love it. And as great as that was, and as significant as that was, and as much as we need to look at that, we need not to forget about his second advent as well, because this once and for all gives us the assurance and the promise that he's coming back, and when he returns, he's going to make all things new. And it's beautiful to think about. But what I want us to hold on to is this phrase again, once and for all, in this moment in time, and also the preview of the coming day where he'll make all things new. Because once and for all gives us the hope and the confidence, even though we're not where we need to be fully and perfectly and completely, one day we will through Jesus Christ. And so this gives us the assurance to hold on to what he's done for us. So here's a question for you in light of that. 
What in your life are you attempting to hang Christ on the cross again with? It says once and for all, right? Once and for all, once and for all. But what in your life are you attempting to hang Christ on the cross again with? What is it in your life? For some of us right now, if we're really honest, it's an area that we're really really ashamed of. Maybe it's an area of, of substance abuse, sobriety. We're struggling in that area. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's pornography. Maybe for others of us in this season, our short fuse has led us to not only be upset and uneasy, but has led us to be a person who's marked by anger that's leading to explosive outbursts. Some of us, our sadness is causing us to shut down. And instead of running to Jesus openly with that, we're like trying to take it on ourselves and say, oh, Jesus, you, what you did was good. It was good. Thank you. I love Sunday gatherings. Oh, praise you, Lord. This is awesome. <laughs> but we're not basking in the reality. No, no, no. Once and for all, he's, he's dealt with that. We need to take those things we're ashamed of to him. We need to take those things that we're afraid of to him. We need to take our anger because there's nothing wrong with being angry. But we need to take it to him. We need to allow him to have access to those points in our lives. The sadness that we feel. It's easy to pretend it's not there. And one of the two ways that we can address that is to push it down and keep going. And people are like, oh, way to soldier on, right? Yeah, that's awesome. But does that really speak to the power of the gospel? Is that what I read here? No, I have a mediator. I have one that's interceding for me. I have one that I need to come to with what it is I'm facing and going through and saying, hey, let's do it together. Lead me through this. And then there's the other temptation to obsess over it and to replay it again and again versus saying out loud once and for all. And so one of the things I want to give you to hold on to in a season like this is to just embrace the truth of of what the gospel of Christ says. Once and for all means it's been dealt with. And so whenever the waves of shame and pride and fear come over you and want to take you away from Jesus, say out loud, once and for all. Once and for all. Because He has dealt with it once and for all. And because of that, we can take it to Him. We can walk with Him through what it is that we're going through and we're experiencing. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to, have to put a, a happy face on or, or act like we've got it together before we come to Him. No, we come to Him where we are. And through the power of Jesus, He brings this transformation. Because one of the best things that could ever happen to us is to receive the conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because there are areas He wants to deeply change within us. But it's going to be based off this once and for all. That's going to be the rocket fuel behind what we're able to to change in our lives through His power in us. Because so many times what can happen is we can look at that and say, wow, like I'm so at a point of messing up again and again and condemnation sweeps over us versus allowing the Holy Spirit to convict and not only cause us to repent, but to change from within and to let other people who are close to us, who are trusted, who are safe into where we're going and what we're struggling in battle. We instead let condemnation win the day. And Jesus says, no, I want to deeply convict you of what I say of you and what I have for you. It's a good thing when you're convicted. It means you are someone who's walking with God through Jesus. 
if you're not convicted at all, that's when you should start to worry. That's when you should be like, wait a minute, like, whew, I don't feel anything about this at all. That's when we take inventory. We don't need to live in fear. We can have an assurance, a confident assurance, but we do need to take inventory in our lives and ask him, hey, have I truly put my trust in you, Jesus? Well, it goes on to say this in Hebrews 9. It says, just as people are destined to die, how many times? Once, and after that, to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away sins, the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And this is such an encouragement because what this simply says is that Jesus dealt with this judgment himself on what he did for us. He did it once and for all, right? He died once for us. He's not going to die again. He's not sacrificing himself again and again. He's paid this price for us to take away the sins of many. And he's going to appear a second time. And I think this is so important because as we look at where we are with God, I want you to know eternal life, eternal life in Christ starts the moment we put our trust in Jesus. Because what that simply means is we're living from an eternal perspective. Now, that doesn't mean we don't experience physical death. We do. But it speaks to the idea that the way we view today changes and the way we view tomorrow changes. And that the fullness of salvation is ours in Christ. He's going to make all things new. And that he's going to bring the salvation. He's going to bring the salvation. There'll be no more death, no more COVID, no more cancer. No more homeschooling your kids that you don't want to homeschool at this season. No more, whatever that is in your life right now, right? No more of that, but rather the making of all things new. And there's this hope and this confidence, there's assurance that is ours in Christ. Again, because of what he has done for us. And that brings us to this point here. Jesus died once and for all, so he doesn't have to die again for our sin. He died once and for all. He died once and for all. Jesus died once and for all so he doesn't have to die again for our sin. And here's what's beautiful about this. It gives us, again, this confident assurance. But this is a promise that we can hold on to in all seasons of life. Because I know so many of us, we hear this and we're like, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. That's great. I love that. Can I learn something else? Something new? Can you give me more or different information? And my question for you isn't, do you know this intellectually? My question is, do you know this from the depths of your soul? My question isn't, have you experienced this in your life? My question is, are you experiencing this in your life today? Because the walk with Jesus isn't meant to be just a past experience. It's meant to be a present day experience. And one of the ways, and one of the marks of humility before God is that we, we are walking in an attitude that says, I'm basking in the reality of what it is you've done for me, the sacrifice that you've made for me and how that sets me free to be the person you've intended me to be, to join you for what it is that you have for my life once and for all. So in response to what Jesus has done for us, in response to what Jesus has done for us, we can answer those three questions I gave us at the beginning. And we can do this because of what the glorious gospel of Christ has done for us and accomplished for us. Again, these three questions were, are you going to leave me? Do you love and value me? Do you think I have what it takes? And I want to give you not Joe Velarde's answers. 
I don't want to give you my two cents on it. I want to give you what the gospel of Christ invites you to. And I want to encourage you to hold on to these answers. These are answers that help me to stay centered on who Jesus is and what he has done for me. So here's the first question. It was, are you going to leave me? And here's the gospel proclamation in Christ. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. You know what? Your mother, your father, they may have left you. Hey, your friends, good friends, best friends may have left you. Hey, someone in your life that's close to you may have hit the road. But in Jesus, and because of what he's done in this covenantal love, because it's not contractual, we can say with confidence, you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You're not going to do it. It's not who you are. It's not how you work. And this gives us the assurance. The assurance to know whose we are and that he's ours as well. Second question, do you love and value me? Do you love and value me? I want you to hear what the gospel answer is to this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and I love you so much, I gave myself for you. Psalm 139 and John 3, 16 and 17. I want to encourage you to read all of Psalm 139. If you need a dose of reminding yourself, hey, he knits you together in your mother's womb, it says in Psalm 139. He knows your days. He knows you. He's intimately involved. In the darkest of nights of your own soul, he's right there. His light is greater than the darkness, it says in that passage. He gave himself for you, willingly. Willingly, not only willingly, because he wanted to. He loves you. He didn't want to live without you. So he sacrificed himself and he invited you in to this relationship with him. The third question is this. Do you think I have what it takes? Do you think I have what it takes? Here's the gospel answer. You are my workmanship created new in Christ. I have good works I have prepared in advance specifically for you. This is based off Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You're his workmanship created new in Christ Jesus for the good works that he's prepared in advance for for you to do. But see, contractual love wouldn't respond this way. Contractual love would say, I got to get my act together. Contractual love would say, hey, if I don't look the part, if I don't got it going on, if I don't look like I got my act together, whether it's your career or your body image, you fill in the blank, you know, or the things in which we turn to, we turn to for comfort and hope and peace. Those are ways that we're missing out on this covenantal love that God has for us. See, covenantal love then fuels us to look at all of our lives. And that doesn't mean we don't address things like physical fitness and, and eating well and, and all those things. But the response comes from a deeper place. It's the rocket fuel to allow God to do something deep within us and then to change not only us, but to allow us to see our circumstances differently. And recently I saw the movie Groundhog Day. You guys seen the movie Groundhog Day? Such a great movie. Great movie. And one of the things about Groundhog Day that I never paid attention to beyond that, he lives the same day over and over and over again, right? And Bill Murray is just so funny. I won't get started on my, my, my love for Bill Murray. But, but one of the things that happens, though, is the days don't get different until he gets different about the days, right? And at the end, we see this change about his attitude. You know, in our lives, with God, we cannot change our circumstances, 
But we can change what Christ is doing within our character and how we view the circumstances around us. We have an opportunity to let him go to work within us. And because of what he's done for us, this once and for all, we can hold assured, confidently, to our identity in Christ. And Jesus himself, one of the most beautiful things that he does for us is he reminds us. And he gives us tangible reminders. And right before he was going to be handed over, betrayed, crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, he had an intimate moment with his disciples. And I want you to hear what he says to them. Listen to what he says here in Luke 22, 17 through 20. It says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so when we come to communion, it's our way of saying, you did this for me. You did this for me, and I want to remember what it is that you've done through your body being broken and your blood being shed. Communion is our way of being reminded of the new covenant Christ established. Because here's the truth. We all forget our true identity. It's easy to do. And whether that's because of pride or fear or shame or blame, we we drift apart. We drift away from what he has for us. And communion is a way to anchor us back to what he says of us, to commune with him. And so what I want to invite us to do is to partake in communion. So hopefully you got one of these. Hopefully you got one of these. If you did not get one of these, we have them out on the table. So they're right outside here, outside in the hallway here, and you can grab one. And what communion does is it, again, reminds us of what Christ has done for us, how his body was broken for us and how his blood was shed for us. And so I want to invite you to take some time to reflect even on those questions that we talked about at the beginning of the message and we answered at the end. You know, are you going to leave me? (laughs) Do you love and value me? Do you think I have what it takes? And, And what does communion tell us? What does it tell us about what Christ says of us and has for us? It shows us that he's paid a price once and for all. And so when you take this, I want you to just say to yourself, once and for all, you did this for me. And put your name in, in there. Once and for all, you did this for Joe. Once and for all, you did this for Ed. Once and for all, you did this for John. Once and for all, you did this for Liz. Once and for all, you did this for Robin. You put your name there. And you're reminded afresh and anew of what he's done for you. How he cleanses your conscience and how he sets you free to serve the living God. And so... You'll see on the top here is the wafer. I told you guys they were going to be pre, pre-wrapped, right, individually. <laughs> and the, the wafer's on top and the juice is on the bottom. It can be a little tricky. And those who are doing this at home, just use whatever you have. But to take a moment to ask Jesus, do I really believe you're enough? Do I believe what the gospel proclaims about me? Have I put my trust in you? And maybe you haven't. And if you're someone today that's, hearing this and you have yet to put your faith in Christ, I want to invite you to not partake in communion, but to consider 
who Christ is instead. I invite you to receive what he has for you, what he's done for you. And if you choose to do that, feel free to partake in communion. But this is a chance for us to take stock of our own lives and to ask God, hey, is there anything in me that I'm believing that's not true? Is there any lies I need to renounce? Are there, are there any lies I need to repent of? Any lies that need to be replaced by the glorious gospel and the truth? Is there anybody I've hurt? Intentionally or unintentionally? Any thoughts I'm having? Let the Holy Spirit just convict you. And conviction is such a beautiful gift because it shows us where we're missing out on what God has for us, but also shows us that his grace and forgiveness is enough and that we can go to him. We don't have to run from him. We don't have to pretend that it's better than it is, but we can come to him honestly and openly and let him do a deep work within us to deepen our conviction about what he says of us and what he has for us and to step in confidence because once and for all, he's done it. So I want to invite you, just as Sam and Chris sing this song, just to consider, and as you feel led, you partake in communion. I want to pray for us, and then as you feel led, feel free to do that. Father, right now, we love you so much. We're thankful, Jesus, for what it is that you've given to us in Christ. We thank you for the new covenant that's been established through your body being broken and your blood being shed. Thank you that once and for all you did that for all people, but you did that specifically for us. And I don't know what everybody's carrying. I don't know what shame, the secrets that we have, the pain that we carry, the fear that we feel right now, the uncertainty, the blame, whether blame that we've taken on ourselves from others that may not be right or fair or blaming others for what's going on or even the pride that says I can't be honest that I fall short I've got it together I've turned to something else I've turned to self to be my savior and my salvation Lord in this moment we just invite you to do your deep convicting work draw us close to you to believe as the scripture says once and for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, I give you what I can today. These scattered ashes that I hid away, I lay it all at your of my deepest shame the empty places where I've worn your name show me the love I say I believe help me to lay it down oh Lord I lay it down oh
Once and for all. 